Have you ever considered what makes a brand successful? How one brand supersedes another in the hospitality landscape? Well, it's never a coincidence. It's always a product of well-thought-out branding strategy that captures the essence of your story. That's why Principal Design is making brands happen in cafes, restaurants, bars, and venues by crafting experiences that gives customers a reason to choose you. They are raising the standard of our industry and helping venues realize that strong brand presence is the key that unlocks all the good stuff like increased foot traffic, higher engagement, and overall happy customers. Branding ultimately becomes the face that engages your audience, delights them at every moment of their dining experience, and eventually earns their loyalty. Because you're part of the Poe community, we'd love to help you kickstart your brand journey. For a limited time only, Principal Design is offering free strategy sessions for our listeners. So jump over to the bio in the podcast description and book your time slot. Welcome to another Principal of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Principal of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now with today's podcast. Starting off as a chef apprentice in 1981, our next guest, Damon, is the owner of India Juba by Didi's Kitchen and chef trainer at Box Hill TAFE and charity food facilitator. Damon has established himself as one of the most respected chefs and has worked all over the world to develop his craft. His restaurant chain is known for its authentic Indian cuisine and warm hospitality. Today, we're going to be discussing his journey in the industry and insights on where we can improve the industry for the better. Welcome, Damon, to the show. Damon, let's talk about your journey in the hospitality industry because you've been in the industry for such a long time and I've been so excited to have you on the podcast today to really talk about your journey. So how did you start out and what are you doing currently? Oh, well, I started when I was in year 12 and I started as an apprentice. My dream was to go in a five-star hotel and work in the front of the house. They are well-dressed, well-groomed. That was my intention initially. Mm-hmm. But my dad had a friend in one of the hotels in HR, and he advised him that, listen, if he, your son wants to go in industry, it's a back of the house as a chef, as a cook. And in 1981, I think being a cook was not a great <laughs> career, yes. uh, especially in India. And, but I was keen to go, and at that time I had no interest in kitchen whatsoever. But once I joined kitchen, and it just it blew my mind, and just got into the food, how the food changes, and I just kept working, studying, and more about the food. And now, at the moment, I'm a, a teacher, lecturer of culinary arts and hospitality in Boxel Institute. I'm completing my PhD in hospitality so it's just all started with being an apprentice mm. can i get you just to sit up slightly closer to the microphone if that's okay and i'll yep. be able to hear you a bit better yep, yep perfect one question i want to ask people more on the podcast in 2023 is what was your first day like can you remember your first day yes i do remember my first day i was in my school uniform when i entered in a kitchen white shirt and khaki trousers used to be mm-hmm. i had a hope that I'll be cooking and cooking some amazing dishes and chef. And my first day was in a dishwashing. So, and, and you can imagine, not unlike restaurant, a five-star hotel, the pots are very big. Yeah. Half of your body inside the pot. <laughs> and so when I finished washing dishes and then I was awarded with sacks and sacks of onions to peel. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was crying both in and out. I was sad and angry and so what I'm doing. So that was my first day. So uh, completely. And I think that's the way to start in because if you don't start from the bottom, you would not know. 
It's just like being a general manager of five-star hotel. If you don't know how to wash dishes and how to manage the people, you can't lead the team. Do you think, and I want to talk about this more, I have, we haven't had a hell of a lot of people on the podcast from the, from the hotel industry, but do you think that's the good thing about hotel training is the fact that it is more regimented, it is more start from the ground up and that's where we're going to go to your real position at the end of it, that you need to start from the ground up? Absolutely, I agree 100% mm. because, as you said, it's more regimented. There are sections to go around. It's not managed by one person. It's managed by a company always and everybody responsible for their jobs. Mm. Uh, and there are different sections. In a, and once you reach it, there is a lot of advantage on that mm. because once you go in a restaurant, so you, might be, you might end up doing everything but only in a hotel, you go step by step, mm. section by sections. I 100% agree with that. What do you think hotel for chefing isn't maybe as prominent a career as it was in the 80s and 90s? I feel like it's kind of come off a bit as being the place that chefs want to go and train and learn. They much more go to independent venues nowadays than they do go through the hotel industry from what I can sort of see from the outside. Yes, it's changed. And it's changed in a sense because... When it's an individual establishment like restaurants, people look at those chefs who are very popular. I think that's a motivation for the individual students who comes out, freshly comes out of the colleges. They look at the chef. Okay, he's a popular chef. He's a Michelin star chef. And that motivates them to go to the restaurant. Uh, unlike in the hotels, his hotel is a chain of hotels. Yes. And then again, it depends what's a trend in Australia, what's in Europe. When you go to Europe, then the students or the chefs wants to go in a hotel first. And then again, it's up to the institutions as well. Program they're running as a work experience where they are exposed during the training period too. So it's a, it's a mix, mix of everything. You do so many great things for the industry and I want to talk about all of them today. But first of all, I want to start out with probably the one that I'm most excited about more than anything is your teaching at Box Hill TAFE. So let's talk about that why you started to teach and what you are teaching at the moment? Well, I started to teach. I wanted to give back to the industry. I've been in industry since 1981. Mm. I worked in different restaurants and hotels and had my own business previously, and I have it now. The, looking at the difficulties we are facing in Australia, uh, skilled chefs, and I, as my own character that I would like to give back to the community and this is one of it I would have made more money being an executive chef in any five star hotel but teaching is I just get excited when I see the students so yeah just I just look forward to wake up in the morning and go in my class and looking at all all bunch of kids all the adults as well now who just looking up to me and just ready to take it so that's the main reason I came on teaching. I imagine, especially when you're doing so many people that you are teaching, you must see yourself in your journey in those people that you're teaching. Yes, absolutely. And I can see them. And I can, when I look in their eyes, and they, I can see myself there. And I, when I see myself, I ask the question, I was not that smart that time. <laughs> they are very smart kids. And I just say, I tell them, listen, I, you are so smart and you are so much, skills you already have but when i started i had no knowledge but that came all with the practice and learning and willingness to learn do you often ask the students when they first start like why they decided they wanted to be a cook or a chef yes i do what do they say uh, some of them most of them say that they love food some of them they say that they love to eat food And which is both both are right. And Good I, answers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they love to eat food. And something said, I just I'm just learning because I want to entertain my family. I want to feed my family and friends. Mm. So everybody have a different motive. And mm. some say that I want to open my own restaurant or bakery or patisserie. So it just. But one thing is common. They all love food in some sense, and that's the core of it. The other thing I ask, okay, loving the food is okay. Do you love people? Because that's the important part. Interesting. Okay, so because you have to love people, 
because that's, this is where you're going to serve your food to. This is whom you're going to serve your food to. People. So you have to love people. Yeah. And you're going to be part of a bigger team as well in Absol- most cases, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We've also talked offline about you studying at the moment just because you've got obviously so much time with everything we're talking about today. You're doing a thesis currently as well. Can you talk about the topic that you're doing for your thesis and why you chose to do that? Right. So the topic, I'm, the topic of my thesis is the competency gap of the cookery students of Victorian TAFE colleges. So what does that mean? That the students who pass out a certificate three commercial cookery, and when they go to the industry, they are not 100% ready with the changes and with the, all the skills. And that's been a big problem in the industry because the industry is saying, okay, we got the student come out, a qualified cook, but the student is not really what we need. There's a big competency gap. And that's, I'm being involved with the industry so much with AITC, Australian Institute of Technical Chef, Litau Blanche, Victoria, La Chienne de Rotissier. So uh, I'm very much aware of what's happening in the industry. What is the shortage and why there is a shortage? So that's the reason because un, until and unless we provide data to the Department of Education, a solid research, we're not going to reach anywhere. We're just going to talk about it and winch about it and do so. That's the reason I, I took this topic of research. So I would be able to suggest and recommend something because things are changed when the training package was designed, what the theoretical underpinning was there. So we had to make some adjustment, and this is what hopefully this year I'll be finishing by July, my thesis, and there's a lot of things has come out which can be useful. Can you share, I don't want to preempt your recommendations, but can you share some parts of what you found doing this thesis? One of the main part I've which has come out, immersed in my data, is that they are not mentally prepared. Mental health. Students, okay, skills and everything, there's a gap there, there's a training thing, there's a motivation of students, expectations of the industry, gap in curriculum, etc., etc. Interesting. Yeah. No, do you think the colleges need to do more in that space or do you think it should be on the employer when they come and enter the workforce and be that person who's a new employee right both ways so they had the college has to do more to make them job ready not just a word there has to be more subjects or units which teaches them the reality of the industry how to deal with the mental pressure and as well as when they go in industry, the employer should provide them support and help when they're under pressure. What is the pressure? What kind of pressure? So it's a both. It's not only educational people, but it's industry as well. Because what happens when, this, when they recently qualify, they go to industry, they find a different world, but there is a gap. And some good one, they burn out. Mm. Some really young guns who really want to be chef. They are really career-minded. They really want to do. But when they go in industry, they they still can have a good life. They still can have a straight ships. It's just man, a matter of preparing them. Okay, it's hard. Everybody works hard. Not only the chefs. The doctors work harder than the chefs. The nurses work harder than chefs. Yeah. It's not the chefs. So it's just a misconception. So only the chefs works hard. Or the cook's life is hard. So they need to know it's not only the hospitality works odd hours. There are some other industry works odd hours there, and they are more riskier. The doctors and nurses, the people's lives in the hand. Yeah. So there's no difference. And when they say, okay, chefs are underpaid, no, chefs are not underpaid. You make yourself that capable, the chefs are really well paid. So it just, they need to be trained and taught and explained and the benefit of it how tough can be and how to deal with that situation. That's the really important part. How do you think amongst the different TAFEs and colleges in Australia in cookery, how do you think there can be a consistency in what um, is taught? And especially if we talk about mental health and 
I love the fact you've touched on that today and especially about being job ready as being the connector into employment. How do you think we can make that consistent and not something that maybe just Box Hill Tafe does really well or Wingham Anglis does really well? See, it's consistency comes, again, it's, there's so many factors in there. We have a training package. All the TAFE colleges as well as the private RTOs, they follow the same package. Yeah. The problem is the who is the trainer is, what's the passion of the trainers, what is the ratio of compliances versus actual teaching? Right. And as well, is just take it, for example, apprenticeship. The apprenticeship is, we call it, it's really good and you get a really practical skills. But it depends under whom the apprentice is, under whom the apprentice is working in. We can have two apprentices working under the Michelin star chef or any other chef, and one apprentice working somewhere else where he's just making one particular item in a bakery and just baking bread. What happens? So it's, it's very, very complicated. And this is where, when the educators there, when the program managers there, they have to really shuffle them around different. We can't just say the apprenticeship is the solution. But we have to come, and this is what my thesis, we have to come somewhere in middle way uh, where there's a, because when we talk about certificate three, it's hands-on. So if they're not hands-on, we don't need the management skills uh, straight away. And what happened, because the short shortage of skills when certificate three students comes out of industry because industry is so much short of skills, they give them a headship job. They try to fill that particular person who's not been trained. They say, okay, you go with supervisory level things because they want they, that person to do everything. Yep. And then that person fails because not been trained. So yep. there's so many things there. It's not just a training. It's not just an employer as a pizza maker. He says, I just want somebody to do the pizza. I don't want you, whether you're Pate or Torin. You just do pizza. Or that person just did pizza maybe in two classes. Right. <laughs> yes. yes. So they don't have as deep enough knowledge exactly. to get a good quality product and therefore that means the product is not going to be good for the customer and therefore they're not going to get return visits and therefore no one gets paid. Exactly. Do you think we need to simplify the training that we do in regards with things like apprenticeships? Like should they be shorter and should they be built out for a longer period of time? What's your sort of thoughts on that? I think what we're trying to do in Australia, I went to Europe part of my fellowship and I I interviewed all the deans and chefs and entrepreneurs and things. What comes out in Australia, we try to create a product one size fits all <laughs> and, and then not good for anything. So I think the specializations is the way to go. You do the basics and then you start to get specialized. It's just like you do MBBS and then you, are, you go specialization. So that's that's what my recommendation would be. Basic skills and then get specialized on those ones. Yeah. Just talking about that, that just makes sense. Yeah. It's a bit like going back to what we said at the start of the podcast where you washed pots and pans and then you did onions. That's the basic level. And then we'll start training you and specializing you in, in what's going to excite you. What's going to make you want to come to work all the time? Because you're not going to know that at the start. That's right. That's absolutely right. That's oh. I wanted to be a chef all my life and then I went into a bakery because I couldn't be a chef, like I couldn't get an apprenticeship and then I love baking. Yeah. But I wouldn't have known that unless because they said no to be a chef. Yeah, <laughs> you know, until you exposed. And that's the yeah. thing. It's just like a parent. You know, if you're a parent, you put your kids to swimming and dancing and music and different kind of instruments, sports, and then you watch the kid where the interest is. Yep. And then you put, because Kid wouldn't know what the kid want to do as a parents, as a teacher, as we. This is what we have to keep a sharp eye. Now, the kid looks very good. His presentation skills is good, and this, and then try to put that kid in competitions. And you know. so, the mentorship is the one that plays very big role. Teachers are teachers have experience. All the teachers are great. They have experience, so they should have. Instead of just getting into compliances and tick all those boxes and making sure, I think this is where it should be concentrating in learning and making sure what is the training package is there is being delivered ethically in a really right way. And then the support, because everybody has a different way of learning. Yep. 
and just to say well, who's good everybody's good in something and just to pick up that thing and then support it so i think mm-hmm. that's it takes an individual responsibility as well then just doing the job the, the way i work is just making sure that i like to see my students being successful it doesn't matter i told them whether you work in a child care or age care or cruise ship or five star hotel but your ultimate goal is satisfaction customer satisfaction to make sure the customers whoever your customers are kids in a kindergarten or in a baby room or in a very high class michelin star restaurants yes they all our customers or your colleagues in your office yeah they all your customers how you can really deliver your skills and your service yeah because the end of the day you're you're always delivering on a food and beverage experience that's right no matter yeah. what it is absolutely with your study as well like we talked a bit about specialization there like what part of the world do you think trains cooks and chefs the best that we should be looking to see when we look at uh, structure where everything put in a structure obviously france mm. so when we look at everything put in a place properly what part of the world now is everything is so common and mixed up together it's very hard to say but i would still say the best part of the world is your home this is where you start with your mom and your dad because this is you get the real fundamental you get the culture like i i learned a lot of things without knowing at my home at culturally from india where i was born and mm. did my apprenticeship mm. then again then after that in england when i went for further studies then i learned the skills and you know, hygiene and all those part of things real professional way commercial way is all depends is is not the name is depends on individual you can still learn and do things then individually other thing comes out okay i'm very keen i really want to learn but i need all those equipment and facilities mm. all the mentorship so it's it just depends where you fall in but at the end you can go to the best college in the world culinary college in the world but if you are not keen you don't want to learn you would not learn yes so this is comes out there how do you think we get australian young people excited about cooking and excited about baking and doing those different things and actually wanting to become a chef, a cook, a baker, a patisserie chef. Is it largely coming just from home or do you think it's got to do with high schools and that kind of stuff as well? Do you think it's both? It's, I will say from high school, I, we should train the parents. We have to change their mindsets. That's the first step. Yep. Encourage school kids to come into the system. Give them a bit of taste. Yeah, give them a bit of taste mm-hmm. and then try to get them to the industry in a sense to to show them how good it is how good it is being being a cook or chef yes not to scare them up it's a lot of kids and only solution in australia is to fill this gap is our local kids mm. not to depend on the international market fully we do need the skills but if you're looking at the long term we have to change the mindset that yes also to let them know that uh, working as a chef or cook is not what you see in tv <laughs> it's not master chef it's not master chef i would not say any program is bad but there's a lot of good things there they can learn the presentation they can learn the menus and how the things works but industry is quite demanding if the good food there you you'll you will know then and there by the bad food they you serve they will not go home and email you the food was not good you'll get blasted then and there yes so outcome is very quick and it's not easy to satisfy everybody's palate someone want more salt some more sugar some some come happy so everything is good some but lot of customer come unhappy so you have to work with their emotions and their mood as well with your food with the service it's not only about food it's about the service service is very important sometimes more than food yes because food no matter how good your food is if the service is not right you're gone yeah sometimes your food is not 100% but service is good they can make it up so mm-hmm. how, that is important super important and that's another thing another gap in industry the cookery students then they are not taught about the service 
that much. Interesting. Yeah. Because they need to know that what happens outside of the kitchen because they are the one who faces all the challenges, not the kitchen. Kitchen can hide. The waiters and vendors, they can't hide mm. if there's a problem. So they must know there should be more emphasis working front of the house. Every cook should work front of the house. And th that's why there's a division, international division between front of the house and they are like enemies. Yes. They, this international problem, nobody is talking about it. Nobody had research about it. Why there is a gap? It's a very huge gap. They're like a two two different countries, the enemies. <laughs> If anybody works there, they agree with me because they don't yeah. get along. Why? The more uh, any place they both team get along, they are successful. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. In my experience, that's what I've seen all the time. Right, at least front of, back of house and front of house divide. Yes. Do you think there needs to be, I'm going to go back to this leveling at the start, do you think we need to do a course which everyone does, no matter if they're in front of house or back of house in hospitality, to learn each other's sections that's really simple but just gives them an insight? And I think because we're really we're just talking about respect, right? Do you think we need to do that with anything in hospitality when we do cookery training? There are courses there. It's not that it's not designed. Yeah. But how, whether that been delivered in that way? But there's a course, the coaches that work with colleagues and customers and all those courses are there. Sometimes the cookery students go for a very short time, but it's not enough. They actually work, should work and serve and deal with that problem, deal with the customers and vice versa. The front of house should go in the kitchen and see what happens in the kitchen, in the stove. Yeah. The course has to work in a way, if you want certificate three in cookery, No, there's no certificate three in cookery. There's certificate three in hospitality. There are courses there, but they are trained in both. Whether they have to expand the time a little bit and make sure that person who does it, not just touch and go. This has to learn the skills of kitchen. They has to learn the front of house service and everything. And that way the product will come out really solid and they'll be more employable. Because the cook can make coffee, the cook can be a barista, cook can be the barman. And our front of house people can, can go in larder and can work on a grill or any sections. So that way we are helping the industry as well as the individuals. Why do you think we don't do that? Because not much research has been done. Right. So that's what I'm working on. Yeah, I'm glad you're going to start to fix it. And I really mean that. It's really important. I'll tell you a story for a short second. I owned bakeries quite early on in my 20s and I remember I used to have even in a small bakery a front of house and back of our divide between the sales staff and the bakers so what I started to do which was the easier process to start was get the bakers to serve more in the mornings right and actually do a half shift so they would do a half baking shift and then a half service shift so then they would interact with customers they would get proud about the bread they were baking every day and seeing someone take it and see someone buy it and then come back the next day and all that kind of stuff and nourishing their family And the sales staff were always annoyed because the bakers hadn't got rolls out by this particular time and the customers yelling at them and stuff like that. So then, I, then with about probably 70% of the staff for front of house, I asked them to bake and we trained them to bake. So they understood how to do simple things like white doughs and do icing and all that kind of stuff. Just simple stuff, but stuff that they could recognize each other's roles. Yes. And then you had respect and unity. So everyone knew that if I'm going to have an argument with a baker, I can at least understand their job and it gives me a bit more perspective, right? So I love your theory on that. Yeah, It's awesome. And, and that's very important. As you know, I have a restaurant. Mm. I run the restaurant. Yes. I let my chefs go and myself go and serve the food. And when the kitchen gets busy, I ask them, ask the front of the house to come and help them out. <laughs> so they both know. So they, the front of the house is not screaming in the kitchen, where's the food? Why is late? But they understand. So, and the back of the house, they know why they're ringing the bell and nobody's coming to pick the food. Because <laughs> yes. they are busy in front. Yes. So go run it. Yeah, they go run it. Yeah. So they, they say, all right, if they're busy, take the food, mm. they one number, serve it. And customers love it. Because they, when they see the chefs coming out, they're bringing the food personally, they just love it. So let's talk about DDS Kitchen. So that's in Q, right? It's in the Q, yes. Yes. So how did that 
how did that start? All what right. what kind of cuisine are you doing? Okay. How's it different? How it starts? I have my soup kitchen. So 2019, we, myself and my daughter, Dia, she was nine that time, we started cooking from home. Everybody, they were locked down. The students was just locked in the rooms, no food. So we used to cook part of food and pack them and deliver. Then that grew and there was so much of need. So we start now we are serving about 1,000 people a week. Wow. In Collingwood every Sunday, in Collingwood and Lilo. So that's our charity. The problem was now the city of Yara has given us ne- Collingwood Neighborhood House to use it. And in Lilo, I have a church where I use that kitchens and everything. Uh, but the demand and uh, things has grown so much and we needed a commercial kitchen to cook food and pack food. And one day I was walking through queue and I said, oh, this restaurant is for sale. So I was not interested in the restaurant that much. I said, oh, I got a commercial kitchen so I can do my charity work and I can cook food on those ones. Yep. And I just looked at the kitchen and I said, perfect. I can do my cooking for my charity as well as I, I can run a business. And, and that's how I started my business. I just got the restaurant and the cuisine of the restaurant is Indian, progressive Indian. Okay. We keep it authentic. I use all the natural stuff like smoke, clay, fire, all sort of things. The other thing I do in this restaurant is always hire the young kids to give them platform. Yeah. Year 11, year 12 kids. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Not trained one. I don't hire trained staff in front of house at all. Wow. Okay. I keep the same same philosophy of helping the community, giving the taste of these young kids. And so they, they learn all these soft skills in this place. And they do a better job. Customers love it. Mm-hmm. They can see their own kids working in the restaurant. Yes. They engage the communication. They say, and uh, these kids, they go to school, they bring their bags, put it upstairs in changing room. In my place, my restaurant, nobody works hungry. They get fed first, then they go in the floor, go on the floor. And they learn maths, they learn how to deal with the customers, how to deal with the conflicts, how to work in a team, and they get their pocket money, award wages, over 15 or under 20s or whatever. And they're a happy team. So this is, we got, <coughs> this, so we got about, excuse me, 35 downstairs and about 35 upstairs. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we've got a private dining room up there. So it's, it's going well. It's been more than a year now. Community and everybody is so supportive. They know our mission, even though it's a business, but our philosophies is like a social enterprise. We, our, in the back of the head is about community. And I tell my staff, and my daughter works there too <laughs> during the weekend. My wife works there. Staff there. I tell them, everyone, just keep the community in mind. Whether these customers are paying or our soup kitchen, we are giving the food free. We are helping community. That means when you are there, you think that our food, our service make the person happy. This is our ultimate goal. The whoever walks out from our restaurant, they should have a big smile. They should say, ah, yes, we not only had a food, it was service, it was colors of the wall, it's the smiles of the waiter, just it's soft music or whatever. We have to put a show every night where we have to put a show. Whether you are in Collingwood, 7 o'clock, sitting there, we, we go and sit there with the people on the line. We sit there, we sip a coffee, we make a toasty while they're waiting for their turn. It's just, we have to become one of them. And that's the charity we do, like food, because we don't give, we share. And this is our thing. I share. Yeah, I don't give. And that's all the people who works with me and with, together. We sit, we go on their level. There's no way of giving. That's a wrong word. If somebody say, I give, it's a very bad word for me. We share. And this is what it is. When you share, you sleep well. You know, the rich people can eat well, but when you share, we sleep well. So 
this is how we work. This is how I work and worked for many years. I remember when I went back there, the Gulf War mm. broke out mm. and I was there. When people are homeless, people are eating from bins. I used to take food from the hotel and family was hiding underground. I used to take food, the women and children, where all the men were fighting on borders. So it's all about sharing. How much food goes in a bin in hotels? We know that. Untouched. So why can't we look at our social responsibility? Mm. So it's all working together. And I was, I was so lucky that I have support of the industry. The one phone call, they say, come with your van and take the food. Yes. Take the food how much you want. So it's not me. It's us. And I was so surprised, even in COVID, everybody was struggling, they didn't have a job, but everyone was helping each other, one another. Yeah. It was so nice to see. And still. Why is community so important to you? Where does that come from? I say at one stage, I was homeless. I become homeless when I went through the break, break, breakup. Okay. And I, I, two, two nights I slept on the bench in the queue. One of the one of the park. Wow. You see, we can feel people are homeless, people are poor, but until you really f- face it, you don't understand. And when I was sleeping there on the bench, I realized, yes, this is what homelessness feel like. Even though I was, I had a job, and everything, but just the sleeping there two night, so opened my eyes, and I said, now I was doing the my charity work for many years but that was the turning point that I got really help whenever I go with my daughter and walk through and see anybody begging or things and people say ah healthy should I get or she should get a job I say but it's people don't just sit there for the choice the person is sitting there and have a head upside down he's he have must have his own reason my soup kitchen People queue up. I don't ask them what color of your skin, what religion. Would you have a double-story house or you drive BMW or whatever? I just say what you like. No question asked. There is no religion asked from what you follow. Nothing. And same thing. Same thing. This is how it should be. When you like to contribute to the community, don't divide. Unite. This should be, we should work like a glue with the community and that's a community is so important very important and we are so lucky in, in Australia I travel all over the world and when I was looking at where I call home when I did my research I had so many options I came from Jordan that time in 1993 and this is I think one of my best decisions to call Australia home because so good people are so friendly people are Helpful, very helpful, very helpful here. Especially you, you, how I know because I saw how the things are outside of our country. Yes. That then only, but otherwise we get everybody get in comfort zone and we start winching and this and that. This is good. This is bad. But this is one of the best. What made you come to Australia more than any other place? Because you're obviously doing some very different things and very challenging things at that time when you came to Australia. What made you decide to come here? Because I was always fascinated with the Australian products, Tasmania, mm. mm. when I was overseas. And I used to get magazine Vogue, and I was just the climate suited, multiculturalism suited me, because I wanted to go to the country where I can call it home, simple that. And the other country, I could not fit myself. And this is a country, if you, it's rewarding, if you work hard, you'll be successful. There's no, it's free. Like in a sense, it won't ask you. You work hard, you are countrymen, do for the country, do for the community. And you feel like, I, I miss where I was born. But being born in India, I'm proud of my country, that's my motherland. But this is, if somebody says something bad about this, a winch about this, I say, no, go back. If you are here in this land, this is such a beautiful country. Mm. So it's, I'm so happy that I chose this country to live and bring up my kids. You talked about, you talked about 
it's not giving, it's sharing. In regards to sharing, what does that, what energy does that give you when you're sharing with people? Oh, I'll tell you, that's priceless. That's priceless. The energy, the things I do, I hardly sleep more than six hours. <laughs> hardly, because the activities, the studies, and full-time work, and the family, and business. But the, that's the energy I got. This is the actual super energy, I will say. When people, when you give things, and people give you hug, and they say, thank you. Can you please, next time, next time, can you bring the snacks for my kids? They depend on that. Because I don't have snacks to put in my kids' lunchbox. And then I, I negotiate and I fight with my people. He said, can I have snacks? <laughs> and they organize the snacks because you're... I said, yeah, this is the need of my customers with whom I'm sharing. They want snacks. My, my customers are from Asian background. They want noodles. Even it's a charity. I try to fill up their needs, not just what I have, and I just throw at them. I share. Share which creates value, a valuable share, sharing. Not because I found something and I gave something and then job is done and tick the box. It's just really connecting with the community and their needs and their feelings and try to help them. There's some of them, I try to find their skills and try to help them with my connections so I can get them a job. It's not just giving the food, it's teaching them how to fish, not to make them lazy. If, if they can mm. do something, you know, okay, you can do this, okay, I know someone on this one, why don't you give them a number and help them out? So it's all, all about just helping in any way we can, emotionally. Just sit down and listen to them mm. while they're waiting for, to grab the meal, what's happening. So it's all good. And it's not only them, the volunteers. to helping the volunteers who are giving their time. Yes. Because they are a big part of it. I cannot do everything myself. I, we got about 30 to 40 people. Wow. <coughs> well... They are all family people. They give their time. <clears throat> Giving time on Sunday is a big thing. Yeah. Their family time. Yeah. And they came, now things are okay. They can travel. I'm talking about when they were not able to travel. I used to issue them a pass. They take risk and COVID risk. And they have all the volunteers. They have young kids as well like ours. People took a chance to come and support the community. It's just mind-blowing. They took so much of risk. traveling and handing over food. Everybody got together. So it's just amazing. And that's what, as you said, what gives me energy. These things, not only the people we share, the people who, with, who join our mission. And this is one of our, our things, this kitchen is food is basic human right. Everybody should have access to the healthy food and water. No, we did nothing. We have, we have, our only say is we are just two and a half people, myself, my wife, and my nine-year-old daughter when we started. And this, our, everything grew. And now we are a registered charity organization from ACNC. Wow, well yeah. done. Yeah, so whenever the grants comes, we apply, and straight away they give. And guess what? Whenever I got a couple of grants from the government, you know whom I helped? The people who donated those small businesses. I bought food from them. So smart. Yeah. But I, I didn't go some new supplier who gave me cheaper. I went to those people, my meat or my green grocer or my this one. I said, no, I got some money from the government to help the community. I will buy from you. So it's just like it's helping the community in every way, helping the industry, because those people donated food when they were going through a tough time. All the small businesses were shut. Yes. And then they were helping communities. So if I get any opportunity, I should help. I can do anything, but still put in the right direction. Do you think maybe part of a hospitality or, or cookery curriculum could be a part that they go and cook for people in need? Absolutely, absolutely. And as even the school, they started with us, mm-hmm. I'll say. They sent their kids to our restaurant wow. to come and cook and pack the food. 
they send their kids, their students to Collingwood. They actually give the food to for this. So mm-hmm. the schools have started, mm-hmm. and as you said, there should be a social a subject where they. Uh, Kids should know it's not about five-star hotels and all the glamour or all the luxury. Food is the one who connects people. The moment the people understand the value of food, you can't go wrong. Food is so powerful, so powerful. So as you are hundred percent right. They should be taught, not only in school, in the TAFE colleges or any colleges. Okay. You know how to cook. We are teaching how to cook, but we're teaching how to serve to the normal customer who pays. But we'll also teach you the customer who not able to pay. But your service and food should not compromised. Agree. This, this is what we do. Mm. Your service and food should not compromise whether you have paid customers or you have unpaid customers. Whether you have a customer you like or customer you don't like. It's the same. It's the same. This is called a hospitality. So I think social enterprises should should be in there. Um, how do you think we get more passionate about training and about teaching, especially apprentices and people coming into the industry from the start? Like I'm talking about people who work in restaurants or work at bakeries and work in cafes and that kind of stuff to train the people coming through, but also TAFE teachers and college teachers. Like, how do we get them more passionate? about training those people because that will, I think, play a large role in less people leaving the industry in the first couple of years. I think we should acknowledge the teachers or mentors who are there. Interesting. And acknowledge them, how great they are, not with the money or salary. I don't think anybody works for money and salary anymore, especially this kind of field. They are passionate. Uh, then putting them into compliance because if they have if those people again is if they are busy in uh, compliances the learning struggles mm. they cannot put 100% so there has to be a balance in a way compliance part done by someone who specializes in that and teaching and practical part are done who's specialized in that so if we create a balance in that one, that way the delivery will be very good. Then the student will get 100% of the technical skills and ex- their experience, those ones. A lot of master classes, motivational classes, not only the mental health classes, those all pop-up classes should come out, even out of curriculum. They should get some speakers time to time. A part of food, just normal speakers with general life things to feed in while they're studying in. Extra feeding should be done. And on top of it, they should be trained while studying. They should be have hands-on training in industry. They should be placed in areas. Okay, block. Okay, so first four weeks you go in this particular hotel restaurants and then after five months come back and do some theories then you place it there mm-hmm. so it should be well planned well planned theory practical practical in the colleges not enough why because just they need the speed they need the environment they need to have a sound of dockets and you know pressure from the waiters even though they have a training college training restaurant in a it's not the same. That is part of the learning. But part of the delivering, it has to be in a real environment while they are getting trained in the college. They have to be out, in and out. Then we get a good product. They're not going in and out. So what happens when the apprentice stay, apprentice works four days in a thing and one day comes to college. So apprentice is very good in his skills, hands-on skills, but it's lacks on a theory. Mm. Where we have full-time students, full-time students study five days in a college. He's good in a theory, zero in a thing. Yes, in practical. Yeah. In practical. So there's nothing there. So apprentice, suddenly a t- apprentice comes, go like a gun in the kitchen, but when he reaches to the chef, the party sous chef level, he fails. Because he haven't got the skill of budgeting and 
menu planning and all sort of thing because he's very good cook so this is where the when you talk about the training this is why germany switzerland france but they work on a master master chef craftsmanship that that works regimented style this apprenticeship is there but they teach this surround uh, they teach very planned way so you can see if given example if uh, not disrespect to any country or anybody but if the chef come from europe or <coughs> chef comes from different country that different it's just their training and the culture be- behind it interesting yeah it's culture behind it do you think we should have <coughs> these two different levels of training in that you do an apprenticeship and you're working for someone and you do one day a week in college for 3 or 4 years you do 5 days a week in a commercial college and then you go and become a chef with little experience do you think we should just have one system and how it works this is what i'm suggesting in my thesis because it's confusing right yeah it is it is confusing and so uh, the confusion sense and the, who suffers the industry the employees correct but if the problem just put yourself an employer you hire two qualified chef right certificate three two both came out yes one full time one apprentice they're working in a restaurant next to each other apprentice will say he have no idea <laughs> yep he'll say what this i'm getting paid the same that person have no knife skills at all there'll be conflict straight away the employer will say of course i'm getting more productivity from apprentice and less for the full time yep and then uh, when the paperwork sort of things the full time students will be more faster mm. but on certificate 3 level you don't need that much you need the technical skills so we have what i'm suggesting is a blended blend, blended uh, approach okay towards this one in my uh, research okay so this is why conceptual framework and this is an theoretical framework i'm suggesting different theories behind it because everything's have a theory backup so different i'm suggesting three different I'm, i won't name it now sure. but there's three major theories on based on that and one is uh, one theory is based on mental health that has to be embedded into the new curriculum if that will be my recommendations if they look at it it's up to them yes but uh, that will be based on my research is unique because i have interviewed anton mosiman to everybody in europe i travel about nine countries from uk england austria italy france all those and then i com- that my pilot study i compared to the victorian chef wow uh, industry and then how i got everything out mm. at the moment so it's very unique in a sense it's real like i hear i interviewed guy guy grossi and you can name the chefs the other leaders in educations in tafe colleges and department so see all the angles what the triangles in curriculum what's it, what about what the educators are saying what the industry is saying what the chefs saying what is the entrepreneurs are saying and so is you hear everything and then to unpack the data it's just amazing yeah do you think I want to get your feedback on staging. Do you think that should still be a thing in the industry that we do? Do you think it's a benefit? Say again, sorry. As in staging as in going and working in a going and working in a restaurant for free for a certain period of time because you go want to go and work for that chef and want to learn those skills. See, I very interesting. One of my student yesterday and his dream very good. He just joined the college overseas. He says I he want to work in one I won't name that restaurant. he wants to work in that particular restaurant his dream and he contacted them he said i work for free and they said no we cannot hire you free because it's illegal <laughs> which is true <laughs> <laughs> that was yesterday in my interesting class. okay very interesting whereas when i tell the students first thing you want a full time student first thing you get a job you won't be able to learn everything here find a job kitchen mm-hmm. hand cleaner this go during 3 to 4 when they have a break go from the back door find just say with a chef and say that i'm studying cookery from this college and i want to learn 
and even I am ready to work for free. And I was doing this for last 20 years I'm teaching. You get a job, very successful formula. Very successful formula, people say. And you won't believe nobody hired the students and they didn't pay. Everybody paid them, but that was the entry point. Yes. But what you hear like yesterday's, the, the businesses are very careful since you can know there's so many cases happen. Yes. They don't want to get in trouble. They say, no, we do the right thing. We mm. want you to work for free. Get trained and get ready, and then you come to us. It's too late. Yeah. Where are they going to learn? It's just like that when I came in 1994 from Europe and Middle East working so many places. When I came to Australia, wherever I applied, they said, sorry, you have not got the Australian experience. I said, how do I get if I don't get a job? <laughs> exactly. The chicken and egg. Yeah. Same scenario. So how the student will learn if they don't get an opportunity? Yeah. And how the employer will hire if they give the opportunity and they get in trouble? So it's, they don't want crowd and untrained staff and have some body standing and watching. Yeah. And they still have to pay. They still have to pay the weekend rates. Yes. The, when you look at the, all the scenarios, there's a catch. Yeah. So, yeah, it's become difficult for both. Mm. My last couple of questions to you. First one, what advice would you give someone coming into the industry right now from the ground up? Someone who's listening to this podcast and they're 16, 17, under 20 and they want to get into front of house or back of house in hospitality. What advice would you give them? I will say it's amazing. It's fun. It's rewarding. If you're choosing this career, you will love it. I loved it. I'm still loving it. I'm 58 years young. I'm still strong. Yes. I, is, I made thousands, thousands of friends all over the world. I have satisfied millions of people with my food. So it's just, and it's a lot of money. I'm not rich, but if you're really good, you can make heaps of money. You can be very famous. Yes. My final question too is, what are you excited about for this year? You've got so many different things going on. Obviously, your thesis in July. Like, What's driving you right now? My restaurant. My, the restaurant I opened last year. This is a great local community. The people, they're just raving. They're putting reviews and with the photos and things. And every review comes almost every day. And I just run, with, run to the staff <laughs> with a smile. Look, you, your food is so good. Look, they put a photo. They put your name. Hmm. And then I say, it's, it's the team. This, this excites me. This year, this restaurant is a thing. Because in this restaurant, I can cook for my charity too. Yes. So it just, it just worked out so well hmm. that I have a commercial kitchen where I can get the good food and I have a good gas burners. Yes. <laughs> so I can, we can do more yep. and faster and more bulk quantity. while. We are connected with the community as well, running our business. Mm. Damien, a lot of people, I think, are going to want to get in touch with you after this podcast and visit you. Like, how do they find out more about what you do? If they can just Google my name, they'll find a lot of things, but always they can get in touch with calling me directly. So I'm person to person man. There's no, there's no layers and there's... You don't have to see my secretary to take an appointment. So it's just <laughs> direct. That's what I do. People say, uh, I say, no, I like to serve people by my hand. I want to be there. And that's what I make sure. Like yeah. I, I'm there with the people to share. And that's the things. People can contact me anytime. If I can't pick up the phone, I'll call back or I'll contact them back at any stage. They won't be, won't be ignored whether they want to come to my restaurant or they want to help me with the charity as a volunteer, they want to contribute in any way, I'm available. We'll make sure we put up some <laughs> links in the show notes of this podcast as always so you can connect with Damon and go see his restaurant in Kew. Damon, I've really enjoyed today. Thank you for what you do for the industry and thank you for sharing with your community. And that's a pleasure. And it was like when we are talking and... I don't even feel that I'm doing the podcast. I'm just talking. It just, it just, uh, just comes from the heart. Like you know, there's nothing, and keeping a life simple, and just helping people in 
any way we can, I think that's the way to go. Totally agree. Damon, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks again for tuning to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Damon. It was an absolute pleasure. He's an absolute gentleman and please make sure you follow him and connect with him. Please comment, like and share this podcast as well with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind so we'd really love you to share it along, please. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, graphic design, you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting and 42 Days for hospitality advisory and training systems. Also going into recruitment as well, you can find us at openpantryconsulting.com. Thanks so much for tuning to this episode and until next time, stay well, everyone. Have you ever considered what makes a brand successful? How one brand supersedes another in the hospitality landscape? Well, it's never a coincidence. It's always a product of well-thought-out branding strategy that captures the essence of your story. That's why Principal Design is making brands happen in cafes, restaurants, bars, and venues by crafting experiences that gives customers a reason to choose you. They are raising the standard of our industry and helping venues realize that strong brand presence is the key that unlocks all the good stuff like increased full traffic, higher engagement, and overall happy customers. Branding ultimately becomes the face that engages your audience, delights them at every moment of their dining experience, and eventually earns their loyalty. Because you're part of the Poe community, we'd love to help you kickstart your brand journey. For a limited time only, Principal Design is offering free strategy sessions for our listeners. So jump over to the bio in the podcast description and book your time slot.